0: Michelle, we are so grateful to have had the opportunity to be led by you in our women's Bible study. You have shared your biblical wisdom with us, but also chosen to walk alongside each of us in our lives, and we're so grateful for that. You have celebrated with us through life's joys, and you've comforted us through life's struggles and hardships. We've laughed together, we've cried together, and we are so thankful for your empathy your compassion and how you've empowered every single one of us. While we are sad to see you go, we believe you are saying yes to God's calling on your life and wish you the best in this new phase of life. We will always be in your corner. We will always be for you. And so
1: we love you, Nichelle. What an incredible journey we've been on with you over the past 10 years of leading our church in worship. It's been such a joy to be able to serve with you and to be led by you over the years. We've experienced many changes together from one to three to two services, pre and post music, nights of worship, drum lines, glitter explosions, moving down to champs and so much more. And it's been a whirlwind. It's exciting to see your creativity shine through and to follow your leadership in providing an impactful worship experience for those who come into our church. Although we are sad to see that we are losing our fearless leader, we are excited for you in this next chapter of your life and praying for this step in your journey. We are so thankful for your leadership, friendship, and Christ-like example. So from the worship and tech teams, we wanna say thank you. Michelle 10 years of working together we have gotten to experience the highs of ministry and life and the lows of ministry in life with you you are more than a co-worker you are a friend you have grown so much in your time here I've seen God give you wisdom and strength to do hard things minister to the hurting lead people when it wasn't easy and push into the desires of your heart when God was not answering we've had lots of laughs and fun And we've seen your creative side with numerous amazing stage design, intentional nights of worship, and messages you have preached, just to name a few. There have been tears together, prayers together, laughter together, and life together. As hard as it is to say goodbye, we know that God is leading you in this part of your journey. Thank you for showing us what obedience looks like, even when we don't like it or understand. God has great things planned for you and your family. Let go of what was, surrender to what is, have faith in what will be. From the Life Church staff, we say thank you.
2: Well, good morning. Welcome to you guys that are online with us. So, if you've been following uh, this journey with us, then uh, you would know that Michelle uh, actually quite a while ago came up with, you know, or heard from God that, you know, it, she wanted to, that he wanted to move you guys to a new chapter in life. And so it was a journey of like, we didn't know when it would be, but we were taking time, praying through it. Lots of different things happening, you know, in the midst of all of that. Um, but again, Nichelle coming to the place where, and Josh and the family saying, you know, we want to answer God's calling. And so clear back six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So you would never think that today would come. You know what I mean? That's the... That's the thing, is is that when you do ministry with people over the past 10 years, you know, that's been uh, special, you know, to to say the least. And so, Nichelle, before I get into that, so this is Nichelle's last Sunday, you know, with us. So, because I know I'm going to get talking and forget all of that part of it, but it's an opportunity for you guys to uh, say goodbye to Josh and Nichelle, to be able to thank them for, you know, what they've done, uh, to you know, give them encouragement for the next chapter of life. But I just want to say, obviously, I'm not the video guy. I would rather just say it like this. But one of the things that's been special to me about ministry forever is to, um, you always have, when you first meet somebody, you always have this dream of what it'll be like, you know. And so, I can remember the first time that you know we were together and we're talking about like want to be cool when and want to be cool when you know like when you read these journeys you know or reach these milestones and want to be neat to see you know when you do have kids and your kids grow up in the church you know you have these hopes and dreams that one of the things that i've learned in life is sometimes those destinations never completely come true you know and so um that's part of the sadness you know for me is to be able to not watch all of those things happen. But one thing that I have learned in my life is is that, but the journey can be beautiful. And so the journey over the past 10 years of um, watching you from where you were, you know, coming out of college and excited about, you know, what God's doing and what the university taught you, but then getting into ministry and saying, wow, it's, it's a little bit different and it's a little bit challenging. But I just want to say to you, Nichelle, the thing that I'm the most proud about is through those times you kept fighting for what was most important. Because, you know, we have lots of great discussions and lots of fun over the past 10 years and lots of, you know, back and forth about, you know, what's going on and what's happening. But most of all, you were like, I'm going to fight for what's most important. And that is Jesus Christ and his calling on your life, Jesus Christ and his calling in the lives of people. And again, being in relationships. And you see that, like, The fruit of your labor over the past 10 years have been the relationships that you're in with people. And for us personally, you know, for our family, you know, um, yeah, there was, yeah, lots of uh, special memories, special times, and things we'll never forget. But most of all, this is what we know as a family and is what we know from your, God has a new story you know, and so as much as we like to write our own and to keep it the way that we want it to be God has a new story and that's what we want to pray over you guys, you know, because this is another step into the unknown and another place where you just don't know where God is taking you and so we as a church, as a leadership, you know, not only want to say thank you, but we're excited about what God's doing, you know, because it's not over, you know, and God still has a plan. And because of your obedience, you know, I think He's going to use you guys in amazing ways. So I want to pray over you. Suddenly, Father, we uh, for sure, Lord, are just so thankful for. Uh, Michelle's life, her leadership, her family, everything that has made it possible over the past 10 years to make an enormous impact, uh, not only in my own life, but in this church and into the lives of people outside of this church. So Lord, we pray inside of this new chapter of a lot of unknowns, a lot of scary steps, ends to things that were incredible, but Lord, praying for things that could even be better. Lord, and so that's what we pray into Michelle's future and the things that she has going on in her life. We pray uh, that she will have courage and strength through those times, Lord, and that you will reveal to her uh, through what only you can do and through your wisdom, what's in the future, and Lord, how you're going to use her. Lord, we love Michelle. We love Josh and their family, Lord, and we just pray that you continue to use them in amazing ways. Lord, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Right, so as they're making their way down, just a, uh, hey, this is what we're doing. So it's kind of uh, we're studying the book of Revelation. So I don't know if any of you guys had seen that come out on social media. Um, but one of the things that, you know, I've been praying through is, you know, you're always thinking about like, what's the next series going to be, or what's the next thing that we're going to do, and kind of where am I at personally, and where do I think, you know, the church is. And so sometimes when you bring up this idea of studying the book of Revelation, a lot of people are like... Ugh, you know, they're either like, uh, or finally somebody's going to talk about it, right? Like people are one or the other, you know, when it comes to to studying that book. But for me personally, it was this whole feeling like over the past year, you know, a lot of things have happened, right? And, and I kept coming back to the same thing, like a lot of oppressive things have happened. Like you just feel oppressed, whether it was through, you know, COVID, whether it's through people's response to COVID, whether it's through the loss of people, whether it was through restrictions, there was just a lot of oppression. And at times, the, the oppression felt bigger than God was. Like you can say, you know, we always know that God's bigger, but sometimes oppression, when it's in your life, feels bigger than what God is. And so I thought, you know what, why not study the book of Revelation? Because in the book of Revelation, here's the reality you will live a life of oppression, but God wins. Right? That's the book of Revelation. Like, if you want to, like, it might seem confusing when you read through it, but that's really the heart of the story is is that at the end, there's a lot of stuff that's going on and a lot of things that can happen. But at the end of the day, God wins, and you need to know that, you know? And we also need to know is that the story of Revelation is also this is, is that. God, when he's with us, does things way more than you could ever ask for or imagine, even in the midst of oppression, right? So even in the midst of of things that are pressing us down, we need to remember that the presence of God is what changes things, right? The presence of God is what makes a difference inside of a church. It's what makes a difference inside of our lives. When we know that oppression comes or all of these things are happening, when we study the, the, the book of Revelations, we can all know this too. It's all coming to an end right? And the thing that's really important is you don't know the end, right? Whether it's Jesus coming back or your life coming to an end, you're meeting Jesus, right, at some point in your life. And so the book of Revelations is a great reminder to say this all is over at some point, and at the end of all of this is things that we need to answer for. And so why not study it? Why not look at it? So we are going to start with, we're going to look at the seven letters to the church. So if you've ever looked at the book of Revelation. I'm going to give you a little bit of a history. So as I'm giving you the history, you could be turning to it because I'm just going to give you a precursor to all this, something you're going to be challenged with throughout the study of the book of Revelation. When you're looking at it, one of the continual themes is it does no good to just hear something and do nothing about it, right? And here's what we know is a reality, right? So here's a reality of the church. And I've always... Been somewhat depressed about this as a preacher, but most of what you say on Sunday morning is lost by Monday afternoon, right? Like most people, like they they listen and you're excited and you talk about it, you know, afterwards for a little bit, and then by Monday, if you go to somebody and be like, "Hey, how was the message?" Well, I mean, it wasn't boring, or it was boring. You know, it's one of the two. But I really don't remember. I know we studied something, and it was maybe inspiring, maybe it wasn't inspiring. But the key is, what did you learn from it and what are you gonna do, right? Like, that's the idea. And the book of Revelation is going to challenge you to these facts of saying, you know what? Lots of people have heard it, very few people have done anything about it, and there is a judgment coming for people that didn't do anything about it, right? So my encouragement to you, I don't know how you're going to do this, but you need to get to a place where these messages, whether it's this message or whether it's you read it on your own, that God speaks to you, because that's the idea. But the idea is that God speaks to each one of us. But not only does he speak to us, but then we answer with the response of doing something about it. Right? Like, that's this whole idea of getting together. Right? That's the whole idea of gathering together. My prayer is, is that you hear from God. Right? It does no good to just come and hear from preachers. A lot of preachers are preaching, right? The question is, are you hearing from God? Because when you hear from God, things change, right? Please say yes, or we'll just start over. Right? Like, listen, if you're hearing from God, God's showing up on your front door. I mean, preachers are preachers, but God is different, right? When God shows up, things change, right? So, our prayer is, is that. You're going to hear from God, and most of the time, honestly, if you're really hearing from God, you're probably going to do something about it. I mean, if somebody gives you a suggestion to change, a preacher, or a teacher, or a Bible study leader, suggestions to change, you might or might not do it, but when you hear from God, you're probably doing something about it, right? When you hear a message, you're probably going to do something about it. So, Revelation 1 is what we're going to study today, so we're going to go all the way through, and the idea is to set up this structure for how to study the book and what's important, Then for seven weeks, we're going to study uh, letters that he wrote to each one of the churches and why it's important that he wrote these letters. And then we're going to see at the end of seven weeks what's next, you know, because I'm not really sure how you'll be doing with Revelation, whether you like it or not, or whether we'll keep going, or maybe we'll move on to a different subject and come back to it later, but we're for sure going to study the seven letters and we're going to look at it together. So let me give you history of the book of Revelation. So one of the things that we know about this is, or when you're studying, it's good to know who wrote it, right? So who and why did the, the book of Revelations get written? So if you remember the 12 apostles or disciples that were picked by Jesus in the beginning that you read about in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, All of those at this point had been martyred, right? So all of them have been killed. All of them had been attempted to be killed, but only one of them has survived so far. And that's John. They call him the beloved disciple, the one that used to recline Jesus. He was in his inner circle. John had survived, but not from the lack of somebody trying to kill him. They tried to kill him. He was put in a vat of of water, oil. I mean, there's questions of which one it was. And he was tried to be boiled to death. Right? So they tried to boil him to death, but for whatever reason, he survived. Right? So essentially, people were like, you're gonna, not going to be able to kill him. So what do we do with him? So they exiled him to the island of Patmos. And on this island is where he gets a vision from angels to write down in the book of Revelations or write the book of Revelation. And it was given, again, like we talked about, the book of Revelation was written for multiple different reasons, okay? Part of the reason was, and this is what we're gonna study here in the beginning, a warning to the church, right? Like this is a warning. I'm gonna write you a letter, I'm going to tell you what you're doing right, and I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. Here's my suggestion. You better listen. Because he doesn't just leave it like that. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you better listen. It's a good idea. You're going to get your butt spanked. You know, it's like, okay, now if you study the rest of Revelation, you're going to see why you should have listened. You know what I mean? Because judgment, Armageddon, all of the things that are coming you know, that's in the rest of the book. So here's your warnings, churches. Now look in the rest of the book. And if you read the rest of the book, you know, it's not just, you know, ice cream and cupcakes, right? It's Jesus coming back, riding on a horse with a sword, with his robe dipped in blood. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be trial. There's going to be tribulation. There's stuff coming. So you better heed the warning, right? The other part of it is, is what we talked about in the beginning. So not only is it a warning and a warning to the church, and so those letters are a warning to us, it's also to say even in the midst of all of those things, you're going to see something, God wins, right? That's what we talked about in the beginning. So you can see inside of a world, because when you read the book of Revelation, it's kind of scary what happens, right? Like it's scary in some of the things that are going on in the earth. In fact, it says during the time of tribulation, better, you know, for a a baby not to be born because it's going to be that bad right? The suffering is going to be so bad, and the tribulation is going to be so bad, better for babies not to be born because it's going to be that type of traumatic experience going through. So, Revelation lays all of this out, like Satan comes, and it's crazy things, and I'm sure you've probably heard about it, the mark of the beast, and if you don't take it, you know, all of the stuff that goes with that. So, lots of things happening, but at the end of all of it, Jesus overcomes Satan, and so that's, for you today, and I hope you're excited about that, because in the book of Revelation, it's talking about future things that are to come and Jesus is going to win, but Jesus wins today too, so you're in some situations today, where you're saying, you know what, I don't know, it feels like Satan's winning in my life, Anybody? Right? At times in your life where you're saying, you know what? It feels like Satan's winning in my marriage. It feels like Satan's winning with my kids. It feels like Satan's winning in my relationships. It feels like Satan's winning around me. And the book of Revelations to say he not only wins at the end, but he wins today. right? So make sure that you take heart in all of those things. And he also gives us this. He's coming back and in the end there is a new heaven and a new earth where we will reign with for him and with him forever, right? And so for all of the sin and all the trials and all the tribulations and much suffering that you're going through here and what this earth will go through, it all comes to an end. And someday, because of your faith in Jesus Christ and because of the blood of Jesus Christ, covering your sins, past, present, and future, you will reign with him forever. And all those pains will go away, and all of the sickness will go away, and you'll be reunited with again with the people that you love, and you're going to, you know, you can celebrate together. All of the pains of the world will go away. So, that's the framework. John wrote it. That's the reason he wrote it. Now, the question just is, what does it mean to you, and what does it mean to me, and why should you read it? So as we go into this, I'm going to break that down, and and hopefully we can walk away from today with a framework or a structure so that when we get into, like, here are the warnings to the church, we can read it in a way that said, okay, this makes sense. This is how I should be listening. And so I'm just praying, regardless of what your history is, with the book of Revelation or what you've had in the past, would you just open your heart because I think God wants to do some pretty special things you know, through this series and through this message. I'm praying that it will open your heart to what he needs to speak into your life and that it won't just fall there and fall off, but it will go deep inside of you and it will change some things. So this is Revelation 1, and we'll start at the beginning in verse 1. It says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He starts with, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Why? Because the time is near. So he starts right from the beginning, and he said, there's going to be a blessing. And so I want to make sure that I frame this right, because I'm going to keep talking about this over and over again, is we have to remember God is either with you and in you, or He's not. He's either on your side or He's not, right? And so He very specifically says to you and to me, blessed right? So, that means a blessing will be on you. You will have something different as a gift from God if you do something, right? That's the whole idea behind a blessing. Does that make sense? Right? You're going to get something different than what you have today if you do these things. These blessings will fall upon you, right? So, he says in there, blessed is the one who reads the word, Right? And so I hear a lot of times people are like, you know, I just, I don't get it. God's not working in my life. And I'm like, how often are you in the word of God? Well, um, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I read it. Sometimes I don't. I'm like, if you want blessing, what does it say? Read it. You got to read it. And, and here's the deal. Here's my challenge. Even if you don't understand it, you know why a lot of people don't read it? Because you're like, this seems like Greek. Like every time I read it, I have no idea what it says. Here's what I'm telling you, read it anyway. Because here's what I'm saying. If you will be obedient enough to read it, then God will bless you by revealing what you need from it. You might read it 10 different times and be like, another day of reading it and that made no sense. And another day of reading it and it didn't make any sense. But you have to understand this, obedience brings blessing. Right? So if you've tried to read it in the past and you got in and you're like, it doesn't make any sense, keep reading it anyway. Because I guarantee you, he says, blessed is the one that will read the word, right? And he says, blessed is the one who's going to hear it, right? So what does hearing the word mean? Okay, so I'll just give you an example. So blessed is the one who reads it, and then hearing the word means is that you're going to look at it in a way that says, what does it need to say to me, right? That's hearing the word the word. It's saying, I've read this piece of scripture, now what does it need to say to me, right? So whether it's you reading your own Bible and saying, okay, I've read this section, God, what are you trying to say to me? And I've heard this from people, God never speaks to me, okay? Keep reading and keep asking, he will. I'm just telling you, God wants to speak to his people, right? You will hear If you are listening, and it's not going to happen all of the time, like every time you read it, it's not going to be like, wow, this revelation, God spoke to me in amazing ways. But over time, if you're obedient enough to read it and then hear it, God, what is it saying to me? God's going to start revealing himself. And this is the other key. Blessed is the person who not only reads and hears but does. You want to know the missing link inside of Christianity today? Very few people doing what the Word of God says. I mean, let's be honest. How many people are reading the Word of God, listening to what He says, and then saying, you know what? I got to go out and do it. And you know why it's missing? Because we live in a world where you don't want it to cost you anything. And I'm saying it for myself, right? I mean, the reason we don't heed the Word of God is because it costs you something, right? Every time you listen to God, it strips you from what you love most, which is you. Whether you like that or not, it's absolutely true. Every time you read the word of God, it strips us from selfishness, and we're naturally selfish people, right? And so every time we read it and hear it, you know what he's saying? A little less of you, little more of me, less of you, more of me. Now, let's be honest. How easy is that? It's not easy. Like, very few people are sitting there, like, I love to be stripped of all of myself. I love not thinking about me at all. I love that it's all about other people, right? Because you live in a world that says it's all about you. You live in a world where people are praising, like, oh, it's so much about you, and I want you to get what you want, and you desire, and you need. And Jesus is like, no, it's about me, Jesus. And when it's about Jesus, it's about other people, right? So it strips away those things. So he says, "Blessed." and I just don't want you to miss that because I think sometimes we forget that he wants to bless you, but he's not blessing you without obedience, right? You can't just sit there and say, God, let the blessings of God fall on your life and on your church, but you don't want to do anything about it. Like, you don't want to be obedient to anything that it says. Blessing comes from obedience, read, hear and do that's what he says and you know why this is the blessing part but you know what the warning is because he's coming back and you know what why it's a warning and I'm going to frame this in the best way possible and you probably don't want to hear it but I'm going to say it anyway if you're not reading and if you're not hearing and if you're not doing when judgment comes in your life I think you'll be surprised which side you end up on Maybe. Right? I mean, if you're a Christian person, why wouldn't you be reading? Why wouldn't you be hearing? And why wouldn't you be doing? Why would you be proclaiming Jesus Christ is my king, but I don't care anything what he has to say? Let's be fair, right? I don't care what he has to say. I don't want to listen to anything he says, and I'm for sure not doing anything, right? And he's just saying, that time's coming where you're going to have to answer for that attitude, And I'm just saying, I don't know your heart, right? And I don't know where people are at. I'm just trying to be honest with the fact if somebody's your king, you're for sure wanting to know what he has to say. Or you're for sure listening to what he has to say. And you're for sure doing the best you can to follow whatever he has. And we're gonna make mistakes and all that. But the warning is judgment's coming. Don't forget it. You know, and he says the time is near. And if any of you guys have been a part of Life Church over the past three or four years, whether it's Jesus coming back or the end of your life, it comes like a thief in the night, and you didn't know it was coming. You didn't expect it. Nobody expected the things that are happening. Whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether or not it's you know tragedy that's happening, people. No one expected these things to happen, right? But he says this is the way it works. I'm coming. And you're not going to expect it, but I want you to be ready. And I want you to be ready, and I want you to be ready, okay? So he frames it with that. Then he goes on, says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood who has made us to be a kingdom and a priest to serve, to serve his God and Father. To him glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming uh, with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. And those uh, peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So, so shall it be. Amen." I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So he says, be ready, there is a second coming. And so this is the understanding of Revelation that that we need to talk about. And so Jesus is coming back someday, right? So we know that it might happen while you're alive, right? It says that that time is near. Nobody knows, you know, and probably if you watch TV, everybody guesses when it is you ever seen that like the end of the world's coming on you know a certain day and then it like never happens and because it says nobody knows except for God right but it is coming right Jesus Christ is coming back that's the second coming you might be alive, you might be dead, but he's coming back to usher in this new chapter, to usher in this, this new story, to usher in the new heaven and the new earth. But the amazing thing is, is I think it's a picture that all of us need to see. Do you see when he comes back how the people respond? What do they do? They mourn, right? Like, look at, look at what it says. It says, and I, uh, in there he says, and all of the peoples of the earth will mourn. Because of him. Why mourn? Do you know what I mean? Like if Jesus is coming back, why are people mourning? And why is that important for us to understand today? Because here's what I want you to see. In the presence of God, your true self is revealed. And when you see your true self, you are crying. You're a mess. You're a disaster. And you know the problem is? You see, you ever be a part of like have you ever seen somebody's conversion story? Like when they like when the presence of Jesus Christ finally enters in them, they're like, "Oh my gosh, all of my sin and all of my shame and all of like all like how the mourning comes about. Like you might not weep, but you mourn. Like this was my life, and then you celebrate this could be my life to be. But Jesus Christ reveals something inside of you. That's why you look at it and you say, "I need to repent." right? You're mourning over the sin of your life because you finally see yourself for who you really are, right? You are, in the eyes of God, whether you want to hear this or not, a disaster, right? You are a disaster, and if you could see yourself for who you really were, you would be crying, right? And so when he comes back, it's not whether, oh, I I haven't really seen. Everybody will see. Doesn't matter. Jew or Gentile saved or unsaved, you will see yourself and both will mourn. And the mourning will be in a different way. Like the mourning of like, yes, I see myself, but I'm mourning in happiness because my Savior and my King has saved me. And that's worth crying about. Amen? right? Like, I mean, that's worth weeping over. Why in the world would he ever save me? I'm so thankful. He's coming back. I'm looking at a world that's going to be destroyed. I'm looking at people who are going to spend eternity in hell. Why did he choose me? And why did he save me? And why did he forgive me? And I'm going to be on my knees weeping because I don't deserve his salvation. And then there's going to be other people saying, wow, I never knew. I never knew. I never knew that I was this. I never knew that I needed Jesus, right? Like, I never knew that these are the things that needed to change. Like, I had somebody tell me, like, I should probably get my life right. And you know why? You know what the problem is? And we're going to keep talking about this. Listen, we need more of the presence of God and less preaching, We need more of the presence of God in the lives of people because you can say what you want, but until the presence of God invades the life of a person, it's only speak. It's only talk, right? It's the presence of God that can reveal sin like no other people. Like we spend way too much time, your sin and your sin and this is sin, which is fine. Like we can talk about all those things, but how much time do we talk about? Like, God, I want you to invade this presence, this place, that person. Because I already know what you do is way more than I could ever say. And the way that you can reveal things. So he says, like, there's going to be mourning inside of that because each one of us are going to be looking at it in a different way in the second coming, right? That makes all of us recognize that he's coming back in his presence, ushers in a response, and the mourning's going to look at different in each one of our ways. And he's just saying, like, (laughs) and here's this, I guess, what I'll say to you today. Here's going to be my challenge throughout this whole series. Take an opportunity to open your heart up to let God reveal your true self. I would rather you have you mourn here than when it's too late. And I don't care what anybody said. Forget what everybody else has said about you, whether they've encouraged you or whether they've tore you down. Forget all of those things. Let your heart be revealed in the way God sees you right? And let his presence do what nobody else can do in your life so that when the second coming comes back, it's not too late, right? That when Jesus comes back and you're on this other side morning like, crap, I missed it, right? How about now let his presence, let before the second coming, how about let him come right now? Right? How about let him come into your life and your church and your home today and let him reveal what needs to be revealed, right? And let, let, let's look at what needs to be revealed and let's do something about it. So he talks about second coming, that they're all more. And Then he goes on and he says this, Hi, John, your brother and companion, and the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Again, imagery that I want you to see. So, when he says at the end, he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and I turned and I saw the seven golden lampstands. You know, and right before that, he's talking about writing the letters to the church. So, in this, he emphasizes this idea that God values the gathering of the local church. You see, so in the beginning where he says, I'm writing a letter to these seven churches. You know, because I think we live in a culture today where people have been like, well, the church is okay, but it's just okay because the church is really out in the world and it doesn't really matter if I come or I don't come. Do you think that's a part of what's happening today? You probably don't because you're here, (laughs) right? So you're not gonna say yes because you're here, but I'm just telling you we're living in a culture that has taken away the value of gathering together as a local church and what it really means. And so he says, I see these Seven golden lampstands, which represents the church. And so why does he talk about them as golden lampstands? That's one of the things you're gonna recognize in Revelation is he uses imagery for purpose. So the reason they're golden lampstands is gold was meant to be or is the most precious metal at that time, right? And so he's saying, you know what's precious to me? The church. And you know why it's so precious to me? Because they are a lampstand into a dark world the gathering of the local church together is so precious to me. And you know why it's precious to me? Because they're bringing light into a dark world. And only the gathering of God's people, and and then what he says after that, so not only are they lampstands, and not only did I think that they're precious, you knew who was among them? Do you see what it says? And it says, and when I turned and saw the seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands were like the son of man when people are gathered together in the name of God, who is with them. Jesus. I've said this a thousand times and I'm going to say it again and I'm going to say it over and over and over and over again. The most important thing to me at Life Church is jesus because he's the only thing that can change things i've just said this listen and i want to say this again as nice as i can but here's here's my view right doesn't matter who your preacher is. It doesn't matter how your worship team is. It doesn't matter what your building is. If God's not there, lives aren't going to be changed, period. You can gather together with lots of people, and you can go through the religious motions, and preachers can get up, and they can go through things, and you can do this for year after year after year, and nothing's going to change. Because it's not about the preacher, and it's not about the worship, and it's not about the, it's about the obedience of the church, welcoming in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and welcoming in Jesus, because he is the absolute only thing that can change things. That's it. And that's why I always tell people, you know what I love about life? Churches, people walk in here, it's not about preaching, and it's not about teaching, and it's not about worship. People walk in, they're like, something's different. Yes? Something's different. Like I walked in here and something's different. You know what's different? Everybody has a preacher and everybody has a worship team and everybody has seats. You know what's different? I'm just telling you, he's among some of the churches and not among others. And this isn't a like propping up life church. I'm just telling you the reality is people are going to churches today, going through religious activity, and he's not there. And they're like, well, but I got to stay and I got to say, if he ain't there, I ain't staying. I want to go where Jesus is. You know why? Because Jesus is the only thing that can change things. I don't care what the preacher says or does, or I don't care what the worship team does or it is or whatever it is. I want to go somewhere where the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus Christ in a room, in a room, because of when you walk in, it's going to do something to your heart that no preacher could ever do, right? No preacher could ever get it done. That's what we're praying for. Just hear me. Listen, and the reason I want you to hear that and understand that because you've been trying to fix your marriage, you've been trying to fix your relationship, you've been trying to fix your kids, you've been trying to fix, you know what I mean? The only thing that fixes it, you know what fixes it? The only thing that fixes your broken heart, it's not all the books you're reading, which are good. It's not all the podcasts you're listening to, but they're good. It's not all the things that you're a part of, but it's good. You know what's going to fix a broken heart? You know, It's going to fix a broken marriage. You know what's going to fix broken relationships? Jesus. Jesus. You can follow all the self-help books you want in the world, and you can read all the best books in the world, but what you need is Jesus. What you should be praying for is the presence of Jesus. What you should be yearning for and on your knees for is that his presence would be in your marriage, in your relationships, in your church, because nothing else matters, right? Because nothing else changes anything like the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's saying. Like, listen, Jesus does things or empowers his church to do things that only he can do in the church, right? So how does he then, so if he's among it, how does he then instruct, or use, or, or go through, or work through the church? That's what we're going to study next, just real quick. So he goes on, and he says, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. So this, again, some imagery. Jesus intercedes on behalf of the church. So this is going to be real quick, because I'm running out of time already but back where the high priest if you look at the old testament if you go back to the high priest the high priest was was the person who interceded on behalf of the people right so if you wanted your sin to be forgiven you went to the high priest you told your high priest this is my sin the high priest went into the holy of holies presented your sin to god god forgave your sin Once Jesus Christ came back, the veil was torn, and so now we have direct access to God, but also we know this through Scripture, that Jesus Christ intercedes on your behalf when you don't know what to pray, when you don't know what to say, when you don't know how to go to God. He intercedes as your high priest. Does that make sense? That's why it says he's dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around. his. It's an imagery of a high priest saying, you know what he does for the church? He goes on behalf of the church and intercedes on behalf of the church and said, this is a church that wants my presence, God. This is a church that's obedient. This is a church that does. This is a church that's praying to, and they offer these prayers up, and God's saying, I want to be a part of that. I want to bless it, right? Does that make sense? So he intercedes on behalf of the people. The next thing he talks about is the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, his feet like bronze, glowing in a furnace. The other thing that he does is inside of a church, so he's working among a church, he's walking among a church, is he purifies the church. One of the things that I think we've lost in today's culture is the importance of sanctification or purification of God's people. Like he just calls you to be Holy right? He calls you, again, not only to come and receive salvation, but changed lives. And you know how lives are changed? Through God working through you and sanctifying you and helping you overcome those sins in your life, right? Not just to get by, but be an overcomer of those sins. Be an overcomer of those things that are trapping us down. He's saying, I'm coming back because I want to purify the church. And I think sometimes we are like, yeah, whether I, get over sin or don't give him my sin you know he's a God of grace and so it's not that big a deal I just want to point you back and you can we can talk about this over time but just so you remember how important it is that God's people work towards holiness do you remember clear back in the book of Acts where Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit if you don't know that story Ananias and Sapphira said that they were going to sell and give all their money and they walked in and they sold all of their stuff and they walked in and they didn't give but they lied about it you know what happened to them they died. If you think God cares about your sinning, he does. I know you don't want to hear it, but I, I, you can find this throughout and you can talk to me afterwards because this is what nobody wants to hear. God does discipline his people who choose to live in sin. am not excited about that one. <laughs> But you know, it's true, right? You could read it throughout all of scripture. Why? Because the sanctification and purification of his people, again, it shows not only his grace, but allows the Holy Spirit to work more, right? Through the sanctification. So he purifies his church and that. Then he also says, as he goes on, and his voice is like the sound of rushing water. So he speaks to his church. Right, so I've always said, you know, the most important thing to my staff, the thing that I tell them over and over and over again, you can stay busy, but you know what? I want to hear from you what you're hearing from God, not from people. Like it's okay to hear from people. You know, somebody gave us this suggestion. Somebody gave us this suggestion. So it's fine. I love suggestions, but what's God saying to you? How is He speaking to you? Because He wants to speak to people. That's what He says. Is that. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. It shouldn't be like, wow, we're a church and we just can't hear what he has to say. It should be like rushing water. Like the voice of God speaking into the leaders of the church and the people of the church should be like rushing water. You know why? Because we're open. I want to hear from you. You know why it doesn't come in like rushing water? Because you damned it up on the outside. Because you've dammed it up in your life and you don't really want to hear what it has to say because when you open the floodgates, it's like floodgates, right? And you're going to hear because it's like rushing water, he says to each one of us. Then he goes on and he says, and in his right hand, he held the seven stars. And so again, real quick, the seven stars talks about in different ways that they were the seven stars leaders of the church who came to see John on the island of Patmos and then delivered this message back to um, the people and and the leaders of those churches brought this letter back to him and so the imagery or the thought process of God holding those people in his hands you know what the other most important thing that you should look for in the leadership of your church and the leadership of, of your family right so wives you want to know the greatest thing that you could ever get from your husband is that he's hearing from God The greatest gift that you could ever give, like somebody, you know, you're dating somebody right now and you're looking at it and you're saying, you know what, what's the greatest quality of this man? You know what the greatest quality is? He's being led by God because if he's being led by God, he will take care of you. You know why he so much says, you know, that's why when we look at leaders in the church, we got to see if they can lead their family because it's the same concept, it's just a bigger family right? And so what he says to him is, is he's saying, like, the leaders of the church, I am holding them, and holding them accountable, and I'm speaking to them, and through that leadership, directing them in the things they we'll do. So that's what he's a part of. He's speaking to leaders who should be speaking to people, but it's not just leaders, meaning leaders of the church. He's talking about leaders that he's speaking to you in your lives, right? And telling you what we need to be able to do inside of that. Then it says, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. You know, the other thing that God does is he protects his church. Not only, you remember when it talks about not even the gates of hell will prevail? You know why the gates of hell will never prevail against a church? Because God wins and Jesus is protecting it. That's why. The gates of hell will never prevail against a church. The gates of hell will never win. Satan will never win inside of your church. Why? Because Jesus already said, I'm there with a sword protecting it right i'm protecting it against division i'm protecting it against satan i'm protecting it against all of those things so he protects his church and the last thing or the, the next thing is the last thing he says is um, his face was like a sun shining in all of its brilliance right the other thing that he wants to do through his church is show his glory so the worship team's going to come back up let me finish with this so in this this is what he says is that through his church god's glory should be shown inside of the world right through his church people should be able to look at his church his gathering of people and see god not religion right like i think this is what's missing sometimes in our world is is the outside world's looking in and they see a lot of religious activity but are they seeing god Are they seeing the glory of God? Because we already know when people see the glory of God, they fall down and worship. When people see the glory of God, something in their life changes. When people see the glory of God, something inside of them is stirred up, whether it's good or bad, but something is stirred up. Is the church showing the glory of God, or is the church just being busy and religious? Right. And the warning is, don't get too busy. Don't get too religious. And usher out the only thing that's going to change stuff, because this is what he says or ends with in verse 17. He said, "'When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, "'Do not be afraid. "'I am the first and the last, and I am the living one. "'I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. "'I took hold of the keys of death and Hades. "'Write, therefore, that what you have seen, "'what is now and what will take place later.'" The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels and the seven of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is what I wanna emphasize. So if you didn't get anything out of the message, this is what I wanna emphasize for you today. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell on my face as if I was dead. When you usher in the presence of God into a church and into your life, you have no other response but then to worship, to fall on your face, prostrate like you're dead because the glory of God changes things. The glory of God changes life. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life changes things. And so here's what I want you to do. So we're gonna study for the next seven weeks. We're gonna look at these seven letters, but here's what I want to challenge you with. And you don't have to do this, but this is a challenge that I'm gonna take on maybe a challenge that you can take on too. So from now until Easter, okay, I want you to pick something or maybe multiple things that you're going to fast, okay? So whether that's food, whether that's pop, whether that's TV, whether that's internet, whether that, it has to be something that when you don't have it, you're like, oh, it can't just be something like your diet program. Right? Like, this is a great time to go on a diet, so I'm not going to do. No. Think of something that will cost you something. And every time you have that urge to do it, I want you to pray for the presence of God to invade yourself, your life, your family, and this church. Right? That's what I want you to do. And every time that comes up, because here's what I know. If you pray for the presence of God, revival's going to happen. In your marriage, in your lives, in your kids, in your school system, in this church. If we do that and collectively together pray for the presence of God to change things, he's changing things, right? And so i whatever the amount of time is from now until Easter, and then we'll break that fast on Easter. And again, you can do multiple things, you know, throughout that time. But as soon as it comes up, that's what I want you to do. God, I want your presence in my family, in my church, in my kids, whatever it is that's broken and needs the presence of God, usher in the presence of God through prayer. We stand so I can pray through? Suddenly, Father, we come to you, Lord, knowing that in studying the the, the book of Revelation, you give us a a warning and and a blessing. Lord, you said that if we read, listen, and hear that you're going to bless us. And so, Lord, that's what we're praying. Lord, we're praying blessing over this church, blessing over the people inside of this church. And Lord, you said to us, listen, in the midst of that, you are among us, right? And there's nothing more important than that. So, Lord, we will continue over these next 70 days, however long leading up till Easter, to create this atmosphere and this obedience, Lord, where nothing could be more important than you showing up in whatever areas of our life where we need you. We've tried to fix it on our own, and it never gets fixed. We tried to do it on our own. We tried to, to, to mend it all together, but I can't mend it together, Lord, today, where your presence invade those places in our lives. Will you continue to invade this church where your presence changes things? Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
3: walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall but you have never failed me yet and waiting for change to come knowing the bad one For you have never failed me yet Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my
2: Now, the book of Revelation is a reminder, your time is short, the end is coming, and this is how it is for me, I want to be a part of a place, and I want my life to be a part of something that sees a God move mountains, like I don't want to just exist, right? I just don't want to go through the motions, I want to see God move mountains in this church, in your lives, in your school system, around this world. I want to see the God who does want to do it, and I want to be a part of seeing it. And so my prayer is, is that over these next seven or eight weeks that we're together talking about it over and over again, that that you're going to see some mountains move. I'm praying for that in your marriage, in your relationship, kids in this church, you're going to see God for who he really is. And you're going to celebrate, and we're together going to celebrate that he is a faithful God who wants to move those mountains. And so we're going to celebrate those things together. So just pray that through your time of fasting and prayer, we're going to keep seeing you and we're going to keep glorifying you. So thanks for joining us online and thanks for being here with us. And we'll see you guys again next week.